Yeah, um, sorry, Diane Hopper. Can I go in to see her? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm her sister. Victoria Stone, October 19th, 1970. My name is Diane, and I'm in trouble. But at least I'm not alone. My best friend Victoria is sitting next to me on the old couch in the crowded waiting room. Our thighs are touching, which is comforting. It's noisy. There's children all over the place, which is making me feel strange about why we're here. I keep this to myself, but Victoria sees me staring at them, wide-eyed, and squeezes my arm like I might be having second thoughts. I'm not having second thoughts. There was never a wavering inside of me about what I wanted, just how to get it done. That doesn't mean I'm not afraid. Of course I'm afraid. I'm terrified. These places get raided. I can't imagine the phone call to my parents if I was found here and shuttled into a van for intake downtown. And if that happens, I have bigger problems. Much bigger all the time now. I watch a small boy, no older than four or five, jump from an orange armchair across a table stacked with magazines onto the armrest next to Victoria and back again. How did I get myself into this mess, I wonder. It feels like a dark tide pulled me under and spit me back out right here, into this run-down waiting room. Mike was the cutest guy at the party, and I was shocked that he was willing to talk to me, a freshman of all people. He had perfect hair and a perfect smile, and he kept finding me and talking to me and all of my friends were so jealous. I was trying to be cool, but the grass was changing my thoughts in strange ways, and I was laughing at his jokes too much, and worst of all, I knew I was laughing too much, and that I had most definitely started to sound goofy, but I just couldn't stop doing it. Nerves and grass and a couple of beers, and I had apparently turned into an idiot. But Mike didn't seem to think so. He kept talking to me, and I kept laughing at all of his jokes, even the bad ones. He didn't seem to mind it. Kept returning to me when my friends and I moved to a different room, telling me something else he'd heard, and I would lap it up and laugh and laugh. The party was at my friend Victoria's cousin's apartment off campus. It was packed. People and smoke and smells I didn't recognize. Most chairs were filled with couples touching each other. Fingers stroking faces and mouths touching. Being two weeks into my first semester at college, I felt like I had stepped off the edge of the normal people world and into somewhere else. Somewhere where the colors were a little brighter. By the time I realized that all of my friends had abandoned me, I was sitting cross-legged in the kitchen alone with him. They probably thought they had done me a favor. They let me have this one, as I surely would assist them when the time came to catch their own. Would you like some water? Mike was across from me, on the floor, smiling. Even though my head was swimming, I didn't want him to get up and go away. I wanted to have something to tell my friends tomorrow, partly to make them even more jealous, partly because I was curious what Mike wanted with me, a freshman girl. No, I'm okay. I smiled back at him, giggled again, as if offering someone water was a joke. Oh, okay then. Mike scooted closer to me across the floor that was smudged with dirt and tiny arcs of people's shoe prints. He was cross-legged, like me, and when he got close enough, he leaned in, and we kissed. 
I could smell the beer on the floor, the beer coating his mouth, the grass that coated mine and made my tongue feel all puffy. Someone stuck their head into the kitchen, and I could hear one of his teammates holler into the living room, Mikey's caught himself another freshman! There was applause and hooting, but I didn't care. I had never felt so special in my life. A woman with a clipboard comes into the room. She scans the list of names, making her look important. To us in this room, she is. There's no guarantee I'll get in today. The list is very long, the waiting room very crowded. Everyone seems to hold their breath. Victoria's hand grips my arm tighter. I'm starting to think she's more nervous about this than I am. I'm already picturing the relief of when it's finally over, of never letting a boy get close to me for as long as I live, of living in a nunnery out in the countryside when I graduate from college, of feeling safe again. I wonder if Victoria is this involved because it was her cousin's party where I met Mike. Maybe she feels responsible for what happened to me. I could tell her it's not her fault, but it's easier this way. To be doted on, to not be judged, to be open about what happened without feeling like it's going to taint everything else in my life, to not have the walls come down around me, or at least to have her in the room with me when they do. Victoria is starting to feel like long-lost kin, because what is closeness if not showing up and telling each other the worst of it? And so much bad has happened. Victoria's grip no longer feels dramatic. It feels like an anchor. Grayshaw. The woman with the clipboard looks up and scans the room. There's silence for a moment. Then a woman across from Victoria and me jerks, like someone just poked her out of a nap. Me, Leona Grayshaw, right here. I'm Leona Grayshaw. She sounds like she's announcing her name on a game show, like she has to say it more than once to be sure she's correct. I am Diane Hopper, and in this room, I too wish this wasn't me. The woman with the list disappears. Leona Grayshaw wobbles behind her. Her stomach protrudes in front of her as she goes. She's further along than I am. Much further. Victoria squeezes my arm again, with both hands now. How can they... She whispers, and I catch her glimpse at my stomach before she can look away. I mean, you're barely compared to her? I want to laugh. Because without Victoria, I'm pretty sure I'd be Leona Grayshaw-level pregnant. I put my arm around Victoria's shoulder. I'm sorry. She whimpers and stares at the floor. She removes her hands from my arm, grabs the magazines on the table beside her, leafs through them. Then she hands me a good housekeeping and keeps the rolling stone to herself. We say nothing and wait for the woman with the clipboard to come back. That night, Mike walked me home. It was all very respectful. He didn't ask to go into my dorm room, and even though my roommate was never home, I didn't mention it. We made plans for the following day, a Friday, which for some reason made me feel even more special. He decided we should go see a movie, some film his sister had told him about. I felt like I was already being let in on family secrets. We kissed again, in the lobby of the dorm, and he went out into the night. I remember watching him go and feeling sad. 
wondering if his thin jacket was warm enough. Fall was giving way to winter. When he turned and waved goodbye, I could see his breath in a white cloud. Then he was gone, and I walked up to my room, floating like I too was hot air breathed by Mike. The next night, he was waiting for me in the lobby, exactly on time, nervously shifting from one foot to the other. Flowers picked from a bed near the dorm, frozen from the frost, dirt along their stalks, but I didn't mind. He cared enough to pick me flowers. We walked the movies as the sun set. The air was still warm, the backs of our hands touched as our arms swayed side by side, not quite ready for the public display of hand-holding, but almost. I could feel it. It was exhilarating. I was going to be a football player's girlfriend. Me, little Diane, from the middle of nowhere, with one of the coolest guys at college. I wanted to kiss him like we had at the party, but somehow I knew I'd have to wait till later. In the movies, we sat close to each other, but still we weren't touching much. I remember that I found this to be strange. It's not like we hadn't made out on the kitchen floor for hours the night before, and when I closed my eyes in the dark theater, I could almost taste him. Beer, cigarettes, something sweet and indescribable. But all he did was put his hand on top of my arm in almost fatherly motion. It irked me for a moment, but I didn't move my hand away. I could hardly pay attention to what was happening on screen, because I kept wondering what he was thinking. Maybe he was doing the same, because when the movie was over, we didn't talk about it at all. Instead, Mike pulled out a flask and asked if I wanted to go for a walk. After a few swigs, the feeling of last night started to return. We talked more easily, walked up and down the small streets that surrounded the campus. Mike told me about his sister, about how she was sick and couldn't go to school, but still managed to make it to the movies every week. He said this like it was a big deal, and so I told him that she was very brave and that I felt sorry for him that she was sick. The night was colder than I had expected. I tried to ignore my shoulders that wanted to hunch like Quasimodo, made my words sound relaxed, even though my jaw was beginning to chatter. Be cool, Diane, be cool. What's in the flask? I asked Mike. Bourbon, he replied. I drank more of it. It made the cold slide off my skin more easily. After almost two hours wandering the streets, I felt numb despite of how much bourbon I drank. I might have to turn in. It's so cold. We hadn't even kissed yet. I tried to hide my disappointment. Maybe he didn't want me as his girlfriend after all. Maybe he just wanted someone to see a movie and hold hands with. I know somewhere we could go. Mike grinned, his eyes twinkling. Oh yeah? I laughed, and his face lit up like Christmas, and I realized my mistake. I had been so worried about where the night would take us that I had forgotten to laugh at his jokes. Somewhere secret. <laughs> I laughed some more, egging him on. His grin stretched wider. It was almost too easy. There's a loud banging at the door. This isn't supposed to happen. Victoria drops her rolling stone onto her lap, and both her hands are back on my arm, clinging to me like she's a baby monkey, and I am her monkey mother. Victoria, relax. 
I'm the one getting an abortion, I want to say. But the banging drums faster, and then a man's voice comes through, seeps under the door with the light from the corridor. Bitch, I know you're not in there killing my baby. I will kill you, bitch. The woman with the clipboard reappears, the board up against her thigh. How did he even get in here? Victoria says into my hair as she nudges closer and pulls her legs up, crushing the rolling stone in her lap. We had to meet someone four blocks away after riding the train. Then they brought us to a bus stop where another person found us and brought us up here into this apartment building after getting buzzed in. Three short, three long, three short, an SOS through the intercom. Everyone along the way had been a woman. The voice of a man booms too loudly here. The woman with the clipboard walks to the door, latches a security lock into place, and opens it a slit wide. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Bitch, I'll cut you. Between the clipboard and her thigh, the metal of a gun glints. Not everyone sees it. Those who do look alarmed, but no longer for themselves. I don't know what you think we do here, but whatever issue you have with your partner, you need to resolve it elsewhere. I'm sorry. The voice of the woman with the clipboard is all reason and calm, and the man seems to relax. I don't think he's noticed the gun. The man's voice comes through the crack in the door, murmured now, and I can't make out the words. The woman nods at the nose peeking through the crack, and then says in a low voice, I'm sorry, but she isn't here. Authority, with a tinge in her voice, like she knows she has the upper hand somehow. The nose angles downward, like he's trying to figure out what it is she has over him. I can't tell if he sees the gun, but there are more words of his, even quieter than before. The nose disappears, and she closes the door, stands next to it, leans against the wall like she's waiting for the bus. Several minutes pass, and she unlatches the door, her hands quick practiced, like she's done this a thousand times before. As she walks back towards the door in the rear of the room, a small woman grabs her hand and mouths, thank you. The woman with the clipboard looks around the room. We're all staring at her and the small woman clutching her hand. An understanding passes. Her name will be next. Mike slid behind the row of low bushes next to the gym, and for a moment his head disappeared reappeared. Got it. He held up something triumphantly, something shiny. The key opened the side door into the gym. Isn't it cool? He showed me the rows of lockers. Just like in high school, right? And then the weight room, where dumbbells were neatly aligned on shelves and gym mats were stacked in the corner. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to laugh. It wasn't very impressive. I smiled encouragingly and took another swig of the bourbon. Without the cold keeping me alert, the drink was seeping into me all at once. I rested my hand on a shelf of weights and Mike came back over. Are you okay? Let me make you more comfortable. Then he was gone again and I could hear something slide across plastic and hit the floor across from me. When I looked up, I saw Mike had pulled one of the blue gym mats from the stack placed it in the middle of the room. Come on, let's make sure you're okay. I didn't know what else to do. The bourbon was knocking around my head, 
and I felt the whole world tilt slightly to the right, then slightly to the left, and so I let him lead me down to the mat, just before my knees gave out. I was on my back, looking up, and Mike was next to me, propped up on his right arm, like he was protecting me. I remember us talking. I remember saying I liked him, but I didn't want to go all the way, and him saying, of course not, we just met, I can wait. Then what we said gets patchy. We were kissing, and his hand was moving over my stomach, and then higher. I hunched my arms together like chicken wings, trying to defend myself with my elbows, nudging gently against his hands, trying to make it look natural, not too obvious I wanted him to stop. I promise we're not going all the way, just relax. His hands everywhere again. Us kissing. Us talking. Pieces of film cut up and patched back together in a way that didn't make sense. The top two buttons of my pants were flicked open by his thumb and forefinger. The jangling sound of my belt. The cheap metal of the clasp. No, I don't want to. I remember saying. And then him. Don't worry, we're not actually going to do anything. It feeling good despite myself. It feeling good at the same time that I wanted it to stop. But it was just his hand, and I let it happen. At some point after this, after the skin of my back had been dimpled by the plastic of the mat, and I had not touched him, not once, other than to hold his cheek while we kissed, or gently displace his probing hands with my elbows, at some point after that, I must have passed out. When I woke again... The room was dark, and there was a ring of hot pain inside of me. Victoria has finished her rolling stone. Her head is lolled back, gentle snores whistle through her front teeth. It's been five hours of sitting in rickety old office chairs, and I have no idea how she manages to sleep like this. Hopper. Diane Hopper? I shake Victoria's shoulder and raise my hand like I'm answering roll call in first period. Here, I stand, and Victoria stumbles behind me, rubbing her face of the drool that streaked the right side. What time is it? She manages to ask gruffly. Late, I reply. It's past midnight. The woman with the clipboard looks at us. Ready? She looks at Victoria, whose eyes are bloodshot and red. I'm ready, I tell her. She leads us out a back exit and down a flight of stairs that open into a dark alley. A van is parked there, and we clamber into the back. Good luck, she says, and slides the door shut. The driver doesn't turn around, doesn't say anything until we pull up in front of a different apartment building. This one is newer, in a nicer neighborhood. Room 412 and I'm surprised to find it's a man hidden beneath the black ball cap at the wheel of the van. Thank you, I say, and we hop out onto the sidewalk. The door opens before we can even knock, and a short, plump woman leads us to a room in the back of the apartment. There are no children here. No dumpy couches. It smells like alcohol and Windex. This is good, I tell myself. There's a table in the back room. It looks like my own doctor's office. The gowns are right here. Call down the hall if you need anything. The woman disappears. I get undressed, 
feeling vulnerable, though less vulnerable with Victoria sitting in the corner of the room. After a few minutes, the door opens again. A tall woman in her fifties, wearing scrubs and drying her hands on a paper towel. I am Nurse Kathleen. The short woman comes back into the room, also drying her hands on a paper towel. This is Joanne, and we will be performing the procedure today. The gloves go on. I inhale deeply, wrap my arms around myself over the thin, crisp gown. Nurse Kathleen motions for me to sit up on the table. You can trust me. I've done this hundreds of times. And it's not like I have a choice and get onto the table and scoot to the edge so I can spread my legs wide. The blue gym mat was making my back itch. How long had I been out? The pain pulsed through me, getting worse. Mike? Yes? He sounded startled, like I'd walked in on him. What is that? Is that your hand? My mind was still clouded by drink. I told him I didn't want to go all the way. But the dots were not connecting. It had to be his hand, just like before. It had to be his hand. It had to be his hand. Not all the way. The dots were not connecting. It had to be his hand. Yes, he said again, and it felt like he was holding still from somewhere above me. Just my hand. Are you wearing a watch? The dots connected as best they could. This time he laughed, like I was the one who'd made a joke. When I woke up the next day on the blue gym mat, Mike was gone. I rolled onto my side, felt for my pants, found they were pulled up and fully buttoned. Maybe I had dreamt the whole thing. Maybe it was just a drunk nightmare. Then a dull ache from in between my legs told me it wasn't. I ignored it and tried to sit up. Everything spun violently to the right, and I had to put my head back down. I couldn't pass out again, not here. I lied there for a long time, clinging to consciousness. I lied there trying not to think about the dull pain, tried to focus on the fastest route back to my dorm. Finally, I felt good enough to sit up. My body ached, not just down there, but everywhere. My arms, my legs, like I'd been in a fight. I could hear people close by and stood, gingerly, making my way to the door to listen. There were three or four guys in the locker room next door. I could hear them opening and shutting the doors of the lockers, things being pulled out and sneakers dropping to the floor. She was all right, but you know, freshman. It couldn't be. He left me here not long ago. Did he think I had already gone home? I'm telling you, older chicks is better. The voice was familiar. The guy at the party, announcing to everyone Mike was making out with another freshman. Whatever, dude. They're just so tight when they're young like that. Collective sound of approval. I slouched against the wall. Waited for them to put on their running gear. To walk outside. I could see them running up and down the football field from the narrow window of the weight room. Then I went out the side door and walked home. It hovered above me, this thing that had maybe happened to me, like it was a thing alive. It seemed to be dangling from every sky under which I walked, from every ceiling of every room I walked into. It felt almost as if it were watching me, watching me when I got up in the morning, when I showered, when I ate, 
and since I didn't have any way of undoing what happened, I left it there and waited for it to either grow tired of watching me or for it to just drop from the sky already. Beneath it, I filled the space with distractions. Extra homework, longer hours at the gym, more parties. If there was enough happening around me, then eventually I might forget it was there. My plan seemed to be working until my period didn't come. And then, until it didn't come a second time. I knew something was wrong, and the thing hanging from the ceiling broke free and landed on my back when I woke one morning and we wrestled. It reminded me of the tiny ovals of blood I found in my underwear when I got home that day. Whispered into my ears of the ring of pain, of hands, of wristwatches, of the body moving above me in the dark room, and the smell of cheap blue plastic. For three days I wrestled it, and it would have gone on for longer, if not for Victoria pounding on my door on that third day. I let her in, and she helped me. She helped me wrestle the horrible thing down onto the ground so we could hold it still for observation. I can't believe he would do that. Victoria handed me a warm mug of tea from the pantry down the hall and sat down next to me on the bed. Exhausted, I said nothing, hugged the tea to my chest, letting the minted steam rise onto my face. Are you going to tell him if you are... I didn't know then how often I would catch Victoria glancing at my stomach. Like she still couldn't believe what he'd done, but there was proof right there inside of me. I sipped the tea and let it warm my throat. No. My voice cracked, but I meant it. The next day we took the bus two towns over to get the test to confirm that I was pregnant. Victoria talked to her cousin, who told us where to go, and that Friday we took the train into the city. I'm going to kill him. Victoria kept muttering under her breath as we sat in the red leather seats rattling gently with the tracks. But I didn't say anything. I just wanted it to be over. Okay, this is going to hurt for a bit. Nurse Kathleen informs me from in between my knees. Something goes inside of me. Tears spring into the corners of my eyes like my cervix and tear ducts are somehow connected. I clutch the cold leather of the exam table try to ignore that it's blue, try to ignore my body as it cries out. Something is deep within me, and I want to scream, but Victoria's hands are back on my arm. I don't scream. I look up at her, and I breathe deep, and I don't scream, even though it hurts like hell. Afterwards, we go to the pharmacy, and I wait outside while Victoria gets me some aspirin. Not too much. Don't want the blood to thin. There will be bleeding. I was warned of that. Aspirin and maxi pads. We spend the remaining hours of the night in a dingy motel where we can hear people have sex through the walls. After a few hours of sleep, it's back on the train, back to campus. I take Monday off from class, but by Tuesday, the bleeding is almost gone and I can go back. But then Wednesday, it gets worse again and I have to stay home. And again on Thursday. Friday, I'm running a fever. Victoria looks pale when she plucks the thermometer from my mouth. She steps away from the bed, and I can hear her in the hallway giving someone our address. She's calm, but the kind of calm you embrace when you're pulling the bee stinger from a child's foot. I start to fade in and out. Seconds of lying down in a car somewhere, of white sheets. There are robots standing vigil at my bedside, 
making lots of bleeps and bloops, like they're trying to tell me something. Then more time awake, longer stretches than before. Victoria sitting at the end of a bed. My bed, my feet pointing out at her. She's reading a Rolling Stone, but it's a new one. You're awake! She drops it. The pages make a gentle crunch. I'm starting to wonder if she even likes the magazine. She runs out into the hallway. Then she's back, hugging me. For a moment, I'm worried she might topple me out of the bed. They wouldn't let me come see you while you were in the ICU. I'm so glad you're okay. We almost lost you. There was a puncture, and you went into shock. Too many words to make sense of, and for a second, I wonder if Victoria is a robot, too. I feel okay. My voice comes from far away. Do you want me to call your parents? Victoria asks. A nurse has entered the room and smiles at me encouragingly. No, don't. Please don't call them. Victoria takes my hand while the nurse checks my vitals. I will survive, I think. Quietly, I will survive. And the thing that may have happened to me looks down at me in the hospital bed from the corner of the ceiling. Quiet, like me.